Welcome everybody over in the venue. Glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're, we're starting a kind of a short uh, yet powerful uh, series here this June called Dynamic Duos of the Faith. And today, Pastor Brandon Peterson and I are going to kick it off by looking at the dynamic duo, if you will, of Paul and Barnabas. Now, most of you have heard of Paul, right? He's an absolute giant in the faith, and in my humble opinion, next to Jesus Christ, nobody has had a greater impact on the world than, than the Apostle Paul. He was a, a great servant of the Lord. He was an apostle. He wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote at least 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. A lot of scholars think he actually wrote Hebrews also. He almost single-handedly took the gospel across uh, the Roman Empire. He was an incredible church planter. Uh, Dr. MacArthur said this. He said, quote, Paul was God's keynote speaker. And if you've ever been to a conference, there's all kinds of speakers. But there's always the keynote speaker. And so you have all these great speakers, but the keynote was Paul in Dr. MacArthur's mind. And I, I think I might agree with him. He was an absolute giant in the faith, but the chances are pretty good you don't know a lot about Barnabas. Or if you've you know, heard the name, you don't know a whole lot about him. And so today, hopefully, uh, Brandon and I will give you a little taste of who these two men were, just a little taste. Um, there was a moment when Paul wasn't a believer. Back then, his name was Saul, and he was, he was a really crummy man to Christians. He was a persecutor of Christians. And there comes this moment, he's on his way to Damascus, and the Lord kind of intervenes in a supernatural way, kind of knocks him off his horse or his donkey, and says, hey, Paul, what are you doing? Come on, quick, knock this off. Don't, you know, I got something better planned for your life. And he becomes a Christian. He becomes a follower of Christ. The problem was, was that the Christians didn't believe that he had become a Christian. The Christians were super nervous that maybe uh, Paul was faking it. That maybe Paul was like this covert spy, you know. And he would find out who the Christians were, you know, okay, the Grovers, you know, all right, we got Karen Fulmer, and, and he was compiling a list, you know, and then he'd take that list to those that were persecuting the church, and, and then they would come and, you know, wipe everybody out, or, you know, flog everybody, or kill people, or whatever. And so the believers, we're told in the book of Acts, were, they didn't want to meet with Paul. They wanted nothing to do with Paul. Until a guy by the name of Barnabas steps in. And Barnabas goes to the disciples, he goes to the apostles, and he says, hey, listen, guys, I've, I, I've, I've seen this guy preach. This guy's the real deal, man. This guy's not faking it. This guy really did give his life over to Christ. This guy really did become a believer. This guy's a changed man. He's not the man he used to be. Guys, you gotta give him a shot, you gotta give him a chance. 
And so because of Barnabas, Paul meets the apostles, he meets the disciples, and of course, the, the rest is kind of history. But because of Barnabas, because Barnabas steps into the situation and helps Paul, it began this beautiful friendship between Paul and Barnabas. They actually go on a missionary journey together. They plant all these churches together. But something happens on that first missionary journey that's gonna cause a little tension between these two men. They took a kid by the name of Mark, John Mark. And on this first missionary journey, Mark, we don't really know, the Bible didn't tell us exactly what happened, but Mark deserts them. Mark says, I'm going home. Mark says, hey, listen, you guys keep going on your, this journey here. I'm leaving, I'm going back home. And that really bothered Paul. I mean, really bothered him. In Paul's mind, that kid just deserted us. In Paul's mind, that, that guy's a coward. But Paul and Barnabas went along the, the journey and finally came back home. And there came a moment when Paul says, hey, let's, let's go back out. Let's go back out and encourage the, the people, the, the, new, the, the, the new churches we started. Let, let, Barnabas, let's go, man, let's take another missionary journey. And Barnabas said, yes, let's do it. And Barnabas said, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll go get Mark and we'll go. And Paul said, time out. What'd you just say? I'm gonna go get Mark, we'll go on a trip, let's take a second trip. No, no, no. Paul said, we ain't, we ain't taking Mark. He already deserted us once, you know. We're not taking him. And you can imagine this conversation that broke down between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas says, oh, come on, Paul. I don't know, he's a young guy. Yeah, he blew it, but let's give him a second chance. And Paul would say, no, 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 you know. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We're not taking this kid. No, come on, Paul, let's give him another shot. And Paul would have said to Barnabas, yeah, the only reason why you want to take him is because he's your cousin. And he was. Mark was Barnabas' cousin. And the Bible tells us that a sharp disagreement happened between these two men over Mark. In fact, the disagreement was so sharp that they're never mentioned in Scripture ever again. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't talk but scripture doesn't record it. Now the good news is these two men weren't squabbling over some doctrinal issue. It was, it was basically a, you know, a disputable matter, if you will. This wasn't over something doctrinal. And it didn't, it didn't mess up God's will either. They, they, they were still focused on that because Barnabas goes on a missionary trip, taking Mark, and Paul goes on a missionary trip, taking Silas. So instead of having one missionary trip, God's now got two trips out there. But Pastor Brandon's gonna come and give you a little taste of this man named Barnabas and the great influence he had not only on Paul, but on just the church in, in general.
And church family, if you guys would take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at Barnabas. He's the one half of the dynamic duo. And he's a man that's known for his great encouragement. In fact, that's where his name comes from. In Acts chapter 4, this guy, his name is Joseph. He's renamed. He's given the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because he's such an encouragement. And so we're going to focus on one single uh, story. And my hope this morning is, is that we not only just learn about Barnabas. If you leave today and all you learned was about Barnabas, that's no good. I want you to learn from Barnabas. And I'm even going to pause a couple times and say, hey, what are you learning from Barnabas? So we're going to pick up in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, that's Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So we start with a little bit of context in our passage. The church began in Jerusalem and the followers of Jesus have scattered out from Jerusalem there's this persecution that arises over Stephen. If you remember in Acts chapter seven, Stephen gives this amazing sermon. He goes through the Old Testament and he, he shows, he says, hey, the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. It points to Christ. He's the Messiah. And those who heard this, they got offended. Their hearts were, were stubborn and hardened. And so they kill him. And he becomes the first Christian martyr. And it unleashes this great amount of persecution in the early church. And so persecution is driving this expansion out into the Mediterranean. And as they flee, they're speaking the word to no one except Jews, it says. So these, these Jewish followers of Jesus, they're going out and they're telling other Jews about the, this Jewish Messiah. But something unique we read is happening in the city of Antioch. Verse 20, there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. So for the first time in Acts, we see the, the Christian faith breaking out in large scale amongst these Hellenists. So we got to go back to history class. If you remember Alexander the Great, fourth century BC, he's conquering the known world. And as he goes, he, he loves something. He loves Greek culture. He's spreading the Greek language. He's spreading Greek knowledge, Greek influence. The process with Hellenization, right? And so you've got these Hellenized people all over uh, the Mediterranean. There are these Greek-speaking people groups. So Greek-speaking non-Jews is what it's referring to. It might say that in your Bible. And remember, the Greeks were part of God's rescue mission in Jesus, the gospel is not just for the Jews, but for all people. What Paul later describes in Romans, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Here's the gospel. 
It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So verse 22 in our, in our text, the report of this, these, these Greeks in Antioch coming to the Lord, it came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And so what they do, they send Barnabas. Barnabas, say, go to Antioch. Mother church in Jerusalem gets word, the explosion of faith of Greeks, and they send Barnabas. He's acting as this ambassador. He's acting as this, this, this guy to go check it out, confirm, investigate, deny. What's happening here? Is this the real deal? You get this sense that they're, they're kind of hesitant to welcome in these Greek believers with open arms. They're a bit skeptical. And again, we saw that same attitude in the church in Jerusalem. They say, Ball, Barnabas, go check it out. So verse 23 is the first thing we learn about our encourager, Barnabas. Barnabas encouraged others with his words. And this is on the notes on the back of your sheet. It's point one. Specifically by celebrating gospel transformation in their lives. Verse 23, when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. The very first response we see, excitement, joy. He rejoices upon seeing the grace of God at work. See, Barnabas, he knew what gospel transformation looked like because the gospel had already radically transformed his life. We get a picture of that back in Acts chapter four when we first meet Barnabas, also the passage where he gets his name. We see how his treasure had changed. Barnabas sells a piece of property. He makes this crazy, generous gift to the church. And if that sounds familiar, you might be thinking of Acts chapter five, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Married couple, similar deal. They sell their property. They bring a gift to the Lord. They bring their money to the church, but something's very different about their gift. Their treasure hadn't changed. There wasn't this gospel transformation. We know that because they keep some of the money back for themselves. And what they did was they lied. They lied and they said they gave it all. The issue was with their hearts. They were lying to God and they were just a couple of imposters. They were just faking it. They were seeking to look like they were all in, like they were giving it all to God, but they were just pretending. They're walking into church and just putting on a show bringing this insincere gift and offering up fake worship and God strikes them down dead. And so it serves to give us this contrast between this authentic gospel transformation in Barnabas and a couple of counterfeits. So Barnabas was the real deal. We read about that in verse 24 of our text. It says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. He was a man of faith. And if you've been with us the past month at Big Valley, we've really been looking at gospel transformation. We've looked at the Holy Spirit. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes into a life, transforms a life, fills a life, indwells a life? It starts bearing new fruit. There's life change, life transformation. And now our trees start to bear this different fruit on them. And Barnabas knows fruit because he's seen it in his own life. And he celebrates God at work in others. We just saw that in Acts chapter nine. Paul comes in. Hey, it's the real deal. Jerusalem church is like, mm. Barnabas comes right alongside him. Here's him out, steps in. And he doesn't approach Paul with this skepticism or this doubt, insecurity or negativity. He's got the right kind of open mind towards him. Not a compromising open mind, but a discerning open mind. 
He's been impacted by this God of grace, this God of second chances. And he's willing to look at Paul the same way. He's willing to look at Paul like a new creation. This man in Paul who once sought to destroy the church, persecuted the church. Barnabas doesn't hold his past against him. And what an impact Barnabas's encouragement had on Paul. We later read from Paul in Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, these Greeks, they weren't outside of the, the scope of grace. There's no such thing. Barnabas doesn't have a bias or a prejudgment. When he sees the gospel at work, the true gospel, he rejoices. He celebrates. And I ask you, what are you, what are you learning from Barnabas? Do you celebrate gospel transformation? Do you celebrate life change in the family of God? When you see the Holy Spirit at work, are you celebrating it? Are you even interested in what the gospel is doing in other people's lives? Point two, Barnabas also encouraged with his words by urging them to remain faithful. I used to be part of a, a running group here in, in Modesto. We would uh, get together and we would go down to Dry Creek and run, or we'd go down to the Virginia Corridor and run. And the idea being, it's more fun to run as a group. And it is. Uh, you, you know, you don't have your earbuds in, but the, the problem is this thing called conversational pace. Anybody heard of conversational pace? You're supposed to be able to maintain a conversation while you're running, which is terrible. So I'm talking to this one seasoned runner. Obviously he's doing most of the talking and he shares something really interesting with me. He says, there are two types of people that run. He says, there are those who run for something and there are those who run from something. Some people run for something. They run for a charity, a cause, cure something. But there are those that run from something. Running is their, their escape. They're trying to get away from something, maybe some emotion or reality in general. And Barnabas knew something. He knew you can't outrun pain. You can't outrun trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul writing to young Timothy wrote, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted. And back in Jerusalem, Barnabas, no doubt had seen pain. He no doubt had seen persecution. The church in Jerusalem wasn't huge at this time. These are probably his friends who are getting their doors knocked down and getting drug out. He sees pain. He sees persecution. And what's he learned to share with those in Greek? What's, what's he learned? He learns to share encouragement in Christ, endure. The author of Hebrews writes this. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. See, our encouragement is to be rooted in the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice also Barnabas encourages by pointing to their purpose. That's an incredible way to encourage someone. Point to their purpose. There's purpose in the pain. There's purpose in what you're going through. There's, there's purpose in your life, your existence, you matter. There's more than just the immediate. There's, there's more than just what you see. You matter. There's meaning. And again, what are you learning from Barnabas? Barnabas wasn't just a man of words. He was also an encourager of others through his actions. This is point two. Specifically, 
by actively helping others find opportunities to grow. And look at the amazing example, the personal example we get in the life of Paul. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So Acts 9, what we, what we just looked at, where, where Barnabas stands up for Paul for the Jerusalem church, that's, that's roughly 10 years ago. Then Paul goes out in the city, preaches the word. Some people are going to kill him. And so he's sent back to his hometown at Tarsus. And he's there, just continuing ministry, just doing the last thing that God had him do. And so here comes Barnabas, seeking out Paul. And the Greek word there for found carries with it this this sense of this difficult, arduous search. It it wasn't a hop, skip, and a jump to Tarsus. It's 100 miles away. And Paul was evidently tough to find. But it didn't matter. This is who Barnabas was. Didn't matter how tough he was. He was an investor in people. He wanted to see others grow. He wanted to find opportunities to get other people involved. And we see that same MO in the life of John Mark. Shows grace, gets him involved on another missionary journey later, and he watches him grow. Fun detail, years after that little falling out between Paul and Barnabas, years later, Paul later writes this of Mark, this man he wouldn't go on a journey with. He writes, hey, send Mark to me. He's of great use to me now when he's in prison. Mark even ends up writing one of our four gospels, the gospel of Mark. Incredible, the fruit of Barnabas's encouragement. And notice how remarkably unselfish Barnabas is. He'll stick his neck out there for a guy. He's not threatened by opportunities that show up for other people. He's not just happy for them. He's making them happen. When we see this huge opportunity to to shepherd this growing church in Antioch, Barnabas doesn't try to play the hero. He also doesn't go out and get somebody who's just going to be his assistant. He goes and gets the apostle Paul. No insecurity, no ego, no, no stuck in comparisons. He gladly pairs up with him. And also Barnabas later gladly steps aside because he knows it's not about him. He's not defined by his role on the team. He's a guy who's willing to play any part. And he's seemingly most excited about seeing others grow, others find their role. And so you can't miss how Barnabas' humility underlines his encouragement. Now we also see Barnabas opting to be present. This is point B. He opts to be present. Verse 26, for a whole year they met with the church. He stayed. He was present. He was available to them. No doubt, he he got to know them. Relationships, discipleship, it takes time. Proverbs 15, 23 says this, to make an apt answer, a timely answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, in other words, a word at the right time, how good it is. You can't just rush in and hope to quickly and effectively encourage someone. Throw out some words of encouragement. Hey, yay, Jesus. Hey, stay faithful. Hey, oh, there's an opportunity to serve right there. Oh, peace out. I'm gone. It takes time. And time says something. Your presence says a lot. 
Even just look at the example of Jesus, my favorite chapter in scripture, Philippians chapter two. Christ humbled himself and he did what? He took on human flesh. Jesus, the very presence of God in the flesh, stepped down into humanity, into time. He became present. He became available, walked slowly through the the crowd, spent years walking and teaching his disciples and people. And something really important, Barnabas made a decision about where he was going to be present. On the other side of this wall right there, there's there's a big canvas. We made it up during a series here we went through as a church on the attributes of God. Looking at it as a church, what, is, what does God's word say about who he is? And the important, the important phrase there is of God. Because those are his attributes. Now remember back to the garden in Genesis from the very beginning. The serpent's lie. It was this. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God. What Satan was saying, what Satan was promising was this. Hey, those attributes of God, they can be yours too. You can be omniscient. You can be all-knowing. You can know good and evil and all the things that God does. Amazing how the enemy will re-spin and re-spin the same lies. Look at our culture right now with technology. We've bought this illusion that this little device right here that can, that can make us omniscient, that I can know all things. I can Google anything. I can know everything. Omnipresent? Absolutely. Virtual classroom? Check. Uh, hold on, somebody's at my door right now. Let me check my ring. Where's my package at? Oh, it's in Tuscaloosa. Is my dog doing okay at home? Did you see that fire at Notre Dame? Nope, I'm live streaming a sports car that shot out of a rocket flying in space right now. Presence everywhere, walk into anywhere. People are sucked into their devices, sitting across from each other even, seemingly everywhere, but present nowhere. One author writes this, he says, the biggest deception of our digital age may be the lie that says we can be omnicompetent, omni-informed, and omnipresent. We cannot be any of those things. We must choose our absence, our inability, and our ignorance, and choose wisely. You see, you're not omnipresent. You have to make a decision about where you're going to give your attention. And by the way, what an encouragement it is when you do, when you choose to be present, when you choose to be present with your spouse, with your kids, maybe with a friend those places that God has put you to be you and to be present. And guess what? Nobody else can be you. Nobody else can be husband or wife or dad. What are you learning from Barnabas? And finally, and most importantly, Barnabas encouraged others with the word of God. Verse 26. It taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. See, the key to this whole dynamic duo was encouragement through the word of God. Helping others to to find their identity in Christ. Christian wasn't a a good term at that time. It was a derogatory term, but they embraced it because they're like, yeah, I'm identified with that Christ. 
Paul and Barnabas saw their mission. We're gonna help other people find their identity in Christ and in nothing else. It's like being a branch grafted into the vine like we've been looking at as a church. In the gospel of John, Jesus asked the disciple Peter, he says this, he says, do you love me? He asked him three times. And Jesus responds each time, feed my sheep, tend to my lambs, feed my sheep. And Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. He responds with scripture saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is our nourishment. This is our spiritual food. This is our encouragement. And this is the cool drink of water that we can offer to others. It's a parched world out there. They need the gospel. They need encouragement. It's all the encouragement that we will ever need personally. And this is the first place and the only thing that we need when we're gonna go out there and encourage other people. It's hope for the hopeless. It's victory for those who feel defeated. It's peace when you're overwhelmed. It's security for the fearful. It's comfort for the brokenhearted. And it's an encouragement to those who are in despair and absolutely discouraged. And our entire staff here at Big Valley Grace, pastors, directors, managers, admins, kitchen staff, absolutely everybody, written into our contracts when we come on staff, says this, you're gonna spend the first time, first part of your day in the work. Why? To use a phrase from Rick, because when, when people come here, they don't need to hear your lousy wisdom. They don't need your thoughts. They need to hear from the word of God. This is the encouragement they need. This is the wisdom they need. This is the truth and hope that they need. And so we need to be able to have that to pour into other people. And that's what both Paul and Barnabas were about. Two men, super different, but partnered up to be encouragers in the word of God. And guess what? It wasn't just Paul and Barnabas. That's the same adventure that God invites us to be on too to encourage others with the word and to be encouraged. And I'm gonna invite up Pastor Rick and he's gonna share one moment how we see Barnabas's encouragement, how it paid off, the fruit of his encouragement in the life of the Apostle Paul. Hey, appreciate him. Would you do that? Wow. You know, you have uh, this man named Barnabas, and you got a little taste of his life. You saw how he was used to encourage a lot of people, but obviously this new guy on the scene named Paul. Now, he's not a new guy on the scene to us, but at that moment, he, he, he's, he's new. Nobody knows who he is, and here we have this man, Barnabas, who's using his gifts and his talents and his abilities to encourage this man and to give you a taste of how it all panned out, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 21. There's a lot of places I could have taken us to explore the life of Paul, but I think this, this little moment here really captures it. And this moment we're gonna read about right here I believe doesn't happen unless Barnabas is in his life and Barnabas encourages him in all the ways 
that Pastor Brandon just talked about. Look at verse 10. Paul has just told all of his friends that it was gonna go to Jerusalem, right? And it says this. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who, was, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet and hands with it. Imagine that. Paul's just hanging out, I don't know, having some coffee, fellowshipping with some people. This prophet comes in, grabs his belt, whips it off, and ties up his own hand and feet. I mean, this is kind of a bizarre scene, right? Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, this is a, a godly man. This man has just spoke truth. You can't go. You go and they're gonna, you know, put you in handcuffs. They're gonna bind you up. They're gonna throw you in jail. Don't go. Whatever you do. But Paul said, why all this weeping? Or You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we couldn't persuade Paul, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. That is a little moment where you get to see the personality of Paul. Remember, Paul used to go out and Kill Christians. <laughs> After spending some time with Barnabas, he's now saying, hey, look, where, where are they? <laughs> Come on. Are you kidding me? You think I'm worried about being put in shackles and thrown in jail? Is that really... Paul basically said, I get it. I was a sinful person headed to hell. And Jesus came and died on a cross for me and my sins, for you and your sins. Huh, throw me in jail, I don't care. I'm ready to die for this cause. It's the greatest cause on the planet. Being jailed for the cause of Christ is nothing. Bring it on. I'll give my life. I'll become what I used to do. I'll become a martyr. I used to martyr people. Now, I don't think these people, they didn't, they, they, their hearts were in the right place. Paul, don't go. They'll throw you in prison. Their heart was in the right place. And there's always people out there. Their hearts are in the right place. And by the way, Agabus was right. He ends up getting thrown in prison. But it didn't matter to Paul. Hey, wherever I am, if I'm in prison, so be it. I'll, 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 I'll preach the gospel from there. 
Paul was truly one of God's mighty men. There's no doubt about it. And he's one of God's mighty men because of a guy really you know little about, and that's Barnabas. I don't think he's one of God's mighty men unless, you know, this great encourager comes alongside of him. The book of 1 Peter was written to Christians who were living in, in just a horrible moment in history. They were abused and, and mistreated and, and imprisoned and just brutally tortured. That, that, that's the, the backdrop, if you will, to 1 Peter. They, they suffered greatly for their faith. They were viciously persecuted. Christians were fed to the lions. They were, they were burned at the stake. There are some... Uh, historians who say that Nero would literally uh, chain Christians to poles and put, you know, you know, like um, oh, uh, fire stuff on them and then light them at night, and they were the they were like street lamps, Christians. Imagine walking down the street on a date with your loved one. And what's lighting up the street are burning people. That's the backdrop to 1 Peter. And then in about 64 AD, Nero, who was the emperor, basically burned Rome to the ground. And then he blamed Christians for doing it, which obviously made the Romans hate anyone who was a Christian. Beloved, our brothers and sisters in Christ went through some really awful things back then. Really awful things. Just a few years after Peter wrote his letter, he was crucified. He was martyred simply because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And this past week, as you know, I was studying my little piece of this, and Brandon was studying his piece of this piece of this message. I, and I thought about all this persecution. I let my mind wander a bit, and one question kept popping into my mind: If I would have lived back then. And all this persecution was going on and people were being killed simply because they were a believer. They were being tortured simply because they were a believer. And, and that thought that kept running through my mind was, will this ever end? If I was a Christian back then and all this was happening, I'd go to bed every night probably thinking to myself, is this ever gonna end? All this pain and sorrow and torture and just just... Killing? Is it ever going to end? Will the persecution ever end? And then my mind began to wonder what's happening today in our world. Wars and rumors of war, wars and genocide, abortion, uh, partial birth abortion. We got child abuse, child pornography, divorce is common in the church, homes are turning into war zones, we got gangs, drive-by shootings, rape, violence, drugs, rebellion, rampant you know, sexuality and immorality, we got school campuses that are under siege, there's political corruptness everywhere, God's been removed from the public schools, America refuses to repent of her sins, there's no sense in what's right or what's wrong anymore in our country. The book of Judges ends this way. In those days, Israel had no king, so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Kind of sounds a little bit like this great country of ours, doesn't it? Everybody's just kind of doing whatever they want to do. There's no king. There's no authority. You're your own God. You make up your own rules. 
And the question maybe we can find ourselves asking is this, will this ever end? Will the madness ever end? How bad can it get? I mean, every day you wake up, read the newspaper, you go, really? More of this? Will it ever end? And the answer is yes. Yes, it'll end. There's coming a day when it'll all end, and Paul knew this. He believed this. He knew the, the world wasn't his home. He knew it, which is why he wrote this in Romans chapter 8. The suffering we have now are nothing compared to the great glory that will be shown to us. You throw me in prison, go for it. You want to take my life, go for it. You want to torture me, go for it. Because whatever we suffer now, and he doesn't candy coat it, it's suffering. Be no fun being in a, you know, in a prison. But compared to the day you take your last breath and you're in glory, Without a doubt, this gives us one of the most important thoughts of all as it relates to how to deal with all the pain, sorrow that we go through down here on planet Earth or the persecution that we go through today as a follower of Jesus. And it's those two words, have now. Beloved, whatever the pain or suffering that you have now is nothing. And I think because of this dynamic duo, I think because God brought Barnabas into Paul's life, and they became friends, and he was such a great encouragement to him, we now have this man who's in a room saying, guys, what are you doing? Really? Really? You're worried about me being thrown in prison? Really? Are you kidding me? I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. Whatever, whatever the pain is, whatever the sorrow is, whatever that might be, so be it. I'm sure Paul thought back to some of the people that he had actually, you know, either was directly responsible for killing or those he was indirectly responsible for killing. And I'll bet he thought to himself, as soon as they took their last breath, man, they were in glory. The first martyr, Stephen. I'm sure all those rocks were hitting him and Paul could remember that moment. And all of a sudden, he's thinking to himself, you know what, there was suffering. There was pain in that moment. But as soon as Stephen took his last breath, are you kidding me? He was in glory. And so you want to put me in prison? Put me in prison, Paul says. You want to cut my head off? Cut my head off. Because I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. I'm ready to not only be jailed at Jerusalem, but even die for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, Paul was a man of great courage. What does it take to maybe get you to zip your mouth 
around the water cooler. Really, I mean, are you, you okay if people make fun of you? You okay if you're not invited to all the right parties? You okay if a professor kind of mocks your faith? You okay with that? Or, you know, you, you know I, just, I don't want to cause any problems. I don't want to cause any waves here. You know, I'm just trying to get along. Punch in at, you know, 8 in the morning, punch out at 5. I don't want any problems, you know. So we never talk about our faith. Never share anything about Jesus with anybody. Somebody might think you're a Bible thumper or a Jesus freak. Somebody who's intolerant, a hater, a bigot. I don't know, whatever the words are they throw at us. Paul says, look, you can call me any names you want. You can throw me in prison if you want. You can cut off my head if you want. The cause of Christ is worth whatever. Whatever. And I just love the, the, the courage of this man. But I'm not sure he has that courage unless there's another man in his life who's an encourager. Paul had a lot of people that discouraged him. Yeah, I got a lot of those people in my life. Boy, do I love those who are great encouragements to me. They just, they do something, and they do something in your life also, right? So this is what we want to do. I want everybody to stand up. Everybody stand up over in the venue. Come on up here, uh, Pastor Brandon. What we're going to do is we're going to pray two prayers over you. We're going to pray that we are a church family <coughs> that has great courage. And we're a church family that are great encourage, encouragers because we need, we need them both. Father, thanks, Lord, for this group of people. Thanks for those in the venue over in the cafe, those watching online. And thank you, God, for this dynamic duo, Paul and Barnabas. And God, I am grateful for the courage of Paul. He's a great inspiration to me that he was able to get past his fears, the things that made him anxious, got him nervous, had him all tripped up and was able to just trust in you. Lord, may we all be a church of family of believers that have great courage to stand for the greatest cause ever, the cause of Jesus Christ. Father, I do thank you for your word. Thank you for that it records for us, this man Barnabas, God. We see how he encouraged. He, he was intentional with his speech, God. His actions, he made count. And he was faithful to point to your word. And Lord, I just pray that, God, this family at Big Valley Grace, Lord, we would be the same. Yeah. That we would be known in our community, known in our workplaces, known around the water cooler as, as, as encouragers. Yeah. It would be uplifting. We point people to Christ and they got people would know you. People would be emboldened with the courage that only comes from you because of God, our humility in encouraging others, God. So use us in your name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Hey, Lord bless you, okay? Live for Jesus Christ.